You could say that's where it all started. Pulsing syncopated rhythms, repetition, the simplest imaginable percussive sound, the whole thing reminiscent of playground games. That's Clapping Music by Steve Reich, composed in 1972. That's just a year after Reich engaged in a series of studies in Ghana with a master African drummer. Reich had already been long interested in pairing music down to its very basics, celebrating mesmeric repetition, but the Ghanaian experience enhanced that sense of muscular dancing rhythms, as we've just heard. All this left an enduring mark, even as Reich's music enriched in technique. Now, four years after clapping music in Music for 18 Instruments, we have a lovely use of instrumental colour, but also warm, sensuous harmonies. Harmonies that recall jazz, even pop. In particular, the seventh chord. Basically, you arrive at a seventh by taking an ordinary major chord, putting down one of the notes, then perhaps you could enrich it by adding or bending more of the notes chromatically. Or even this, which sounds even more like Reich. Yet the way Reich's harmonies shade evenly into one another, like figures on a mobile moving slowly, regularly, round and round, that's nothing like jazz or pop. It doesn't so much make you want to get up and dance, it's more meditative. And at the beginning of Music for 18 Instruments, the pulsing bass clarinets are almost like yogic chanting. I described Reich's music as trance-inducing, and music for 18 instruments, I think, fits that very well. I can remember in my 20s putting that piece on regularly towards the end of the afternoon and lying on the floor. I found it remarkably relaxing, maybe not just those rhythmic repetitions, but also the sort of womb-like sounds that surround them. But tonight's work, the desert music, composed seven years after Music for 18 Instruments, marks quite a change in character. All the ingredients we've heard so far are present. The rhythms, the colours, the pulsing repetitions, and those very sensuous harmonies. But now there's an edge, possibly a nervous quality. Those enriched or enhanced sevenths are becoming thornier, more dissonant. Basically, what we have there is a rotating pattern of five chords, and if there's a theme for the desert music, that's it. You could say that the work's nearly 50-minute span is really a huge set of variations on that basic rotating pattern. But why this new edge? 
this nervous quality present in that very opening dissonant clangor for piano and marimbas. Already there, there seems to be a note of alarm or of warning. And what is the connection with the desert? Well, deserts are places where extraordinary things happen, places where mystics have visions, and places where atom bombs are tested. As that opening chordal cycle on the wordless chorus builds, the brass, or in this chamber version we're hearing tonight, synthesizers, begin to blur the harmonies. They run into each other and thus increase the dissonance. It might make you think of great rocks or vision blinded by the sun. Eventually, this changing chordal pattern stabilises on one harmony. Actually, it's not so much stabilised as slowed down massively. We still have regular changes of chord, yet at a much slower rate. Slowing down the harmony means that we can now focus in on musical detail, on tiny dancing running figures, like human figures in huge open spaces. and synthesizers there imitate each other closely on this figure. That figure is passed round the strings and synthesizers in imitation. Each instrument plays the same figure, but their entries are staggered so that they begin to overlap closely. It's a technique called phasing. But there's another interesting ancestor for this kind of texture, and this is called cross-hatching. And the pioneer came from a very different culture and climate from Steve Reich. That's Sibelius, his sixth symphony. Music from a very cold, damp, misty forestscape, you might think. Absolutely the antithesis of the great American deserts in every respect. Yet that sound was appropriated, colonised, you might say, and transformed into something very American, in a formative work by a 20th century American composer, Roy Harris. Roy Harris's third symphony appeared in 1939, and it was a huge success. In many ways, it helped define the American sound, especially when depicting the great American outdoors. Harris translates Sibelius's nature sounds into distinctly American ones, 
the quality of wide open spaces, and with an unmistakable pop element too. Surely there we can hear an ancestor for Reich's desert sounds. And it's rather striking the way that Harris makes use of the very modern vibraphone as part of his nature symbolism. You can see the young Reich drinking that in too, not to mention those distinctly American pop elements. Back then to the desert music. We left it just before the voices enter again, though now they enter with words and a version of a poem by the ancient Greek poet Theocritus. Begin, my friend, for you cannot, you may be sure, take your song, which drives all things out of mind, with you to the other world. That playful use of parenthesis there is very typical of the translator, the American poet William Carlos Williams, whose verse provides the text for Reich's desert music. Reich's setting is playful too. He starts with the word begin but he plays with it, exactly as he does with his other musical repeating pulsing patterns. It's more sound than meaning, at least at this stage. William Carlos Williams' words continue, For you cannot take your song, which drives all things out of mind, with you to the other world. Reich's trance-inducing pieces are very good at driving or charming things out of one's mind. But as you hear the desert music, that edgy, uncomfortable, challenging element is there too. In the music we've heard so far, there's a wonderful even pulse. It could be soothing. But just after the passage we've heard, there's a sudden change of gear, and drier percussion sounds inaugurate a new, slower dancing tempo.
That gear change is actually not quite a move into a new tempo. It's a device called metric modulation, by which one kind of beat morphs, if that's the word, into the next. The chorus is pulsing from the beginning, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's reimagined not just as groups of two, but a slower three. Da 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 And that new slower da 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 becomes the new tempo. William Carlos Williams's words at this point mention trying to make out sound, which is a little bit like our experience, perhaps, as we try to make out the words in Reich's setting. The poem goes on, It is not a flute note either. It is the relation of a flute note to a drum. And Reich makes sure in this reduced chamber version of the desert music that the flutes and drums are still present. These big metric modulation points, these tempo changes, mark out the structure of the desert music very clearly. It's a huge arch structure, A, B, C, B, A. Reich says that it was partly inspired by the symmetry of William Carlos Williams' own name. And there's a playful quality at the centre of the desert music, some words of Williams's that almost sum up Reich's technique. It is a principle of music to repeat the theme, repeat and repeat again. Well, given what we know of Reich, those words almost set themselves. Framing that playful middle section are two chunks of much slower music which form the real heart of the desert music, and here this sense of playfulness vanishes and the ominous, edgy quality becomes much clearer. One stark thought of William Carlos Williams forms the text for the central section. Say to them, man has survived hitherto because he was too ignorant to know how to realise his wishes. Now that he can realise them, he must change them or perish. The chorus sing these words very slowly and clearly. There's no phasing or rhythmic complexity, just chords. We're meant to hear these words. You can see what Reich is trying to say. The human tendency to self-destruction is age-old, but now in our times we have the means to wipe ourselves out completely. And the desert, New Mexico particularly, is where the first atomic bomb tests took place. Reich underlines the point as the chorus returns by having them sing eerily wordless chords with strings and synthesizers imitating the sound of warning sirens. Reich specifies contact microphones very close up to emphasise that quality. 
It's disturbingly reminiscent of the once famous four-minute warning. Gradually, the arch structure unfolds back again from that fearful central vision. But there are changes, especially when we return to the original fast tempo and that dancing, cross-hatching, wide-open spaces music. The strings, synthesizers and pitched percussion belt along. But the primal chordal sounds, and particularly the anguished high slow chant line, seem to be suggesting running from something, a desire to escape something. I remember hearing Reich interviewed before the UK premiere of the Desert Music at the Proms. If I'm right, I think he described this music as out in the desert, running like hell. Elemental destruction, human flight. But there is another side to desert symbolism too, and it's also hinted at in the words and in the ritualised magical hypnotic elements of the music. Deserts are traditionally places of self-loss, but also of self-discovery and revelation. Moses, Jesus and Muhammad all found enlightenment in the desert. There one may find the blinding light of the sun, or in our times of nuclear explosion, but the desert can offer another kind of light. The other side of human beings is creation, especially the creation that comes from love. And there is one last point just before the final climax in the desert music, where we are clearly meant to hear the words. It's the high point of this running section. Are human natural creativity and destruction simply different sides of the same elemental coin, the atom bomb and the act of love? As William Carlos Williams puts it, inseparable from the fire, its light takes precedence over it. Who most shall advance the light? Call it what you may. Those last words are almost shouted by the chorus.
We're approaching the end, and there's one new touch from Steve Reich there, and it's a very telling one. As the chorus's pulsating chords return, the chant line, the chorus sung to Who Most Shall Advance the Light, keeps on singing, relatively faintly but audibly, on high strings and flutes. That thought is meant to endure too. <laughs> 